This is Payments Innovation. We take you deep into the DNA of digital finance with some of the most respected voices in the industry. Let's dive in. Hello, everybody. This is your host, Kara Hayward, for another episode of our Payments Innovation podcast. So our topic today is going to focus around cybersecurity. As everyone knows, it's a hot topic that we see in a lot of media. The stakes have never been higher the more digital that we get in the world. And we really want to focus today on how cybersecurity intersects with the fintech market. I think a lot of people think of fintech as bleeding edge with the best technology, APIs, cloud. But, uh, you know, is it really secure? And, and are we really taking cybersecurity serious enough? I'm very, very excited today to have Fraser Scott, who's the VP of product for Erius Risk with us today. Welcome, Fraser. Uh, thank you, Cara, for having me. So maybe we could start, Fraser. if you could just introduce yourself a little bit. Yeah, hi. So I'm Fraser Scott, VP of product at Erius Risk. Um, uh, and my job there is to ensure that we are building the threat modeling tool that helps customers to implement security by design throughout the software development lifecycle. For the members of the audience that aren't as familiar with what threat modeling is, could you do a quick definition of threat modeling? Yeah, of course. Um, so first thing to note with threat modeling is something we already all do. It's not anything magical. Threat modeling is typically a process that Adam Shostak uh, came up with this four-question framework, which I think summarizes uh, threat modeling really well. First question is, what are you doing or what are you building or what are you working on? And once you have that understanding of what it is you're dealing with, what can go wrong? So what can go wrong from a security perspective, but also could be potentially what can go wrong from a privacy perspective? So at that point, you have an idea of the possible threats to your system. So the next question is, now what are you going to do about it? Which of these controls can we implement that secure the system the most, preferably for the least amount of cost? And then the fourth question is, are you doing a good job of answering the other three? Are you, uh, did you threat model the right thing or did you miss something? Are you finding the right types of threats or are you hyper-focusing on one particular type of technology or threat? Are you actually implementing the countermeasures or are they just like piling up in a backlog somewhere in JIRA or something like that? And within that four-question uh, four framework, you've basically done threat modeling. And as, as I said, it's something we all do naturally anyway. So uh, if you go and park your car somewhere in a strange neighborhood at night, you're going through that kind of process. Where am I? What's the situation? Um, what are the threats? Someone could break into my car. What are you going to do about it? Park in a public garage, park near the streetlight. And uh, did I do a good job? Or maybe I'll look back and see if my car's still there as I'm walking away or something like that. But it's a, it's a very natural process. And we're just applying it to the design of software. And, and where threat modeling differs from a lot of other security processes is that it happens at a, a higher level of abstraction in this technology. So we're not too worried about the individual lines of code. We're trying to understand what's the intent of what you're building and does that make sense? Is that a good thing to do? And it's useful to distinguish between uh, implementation flaws. So you can take a really good idea, try to implement it and make a mistake, and then you get a bug. And threat modeling is more interested in have you got a terrible idea? So you can perfectly implement a bad idea, like I'm going to upload all of my sensitive customer data to a public S3 bucket. You could do that perfectly without any implementation flaws, but it's a bad design decision. And that's where threat modeling is trying to operate. It's trying to help you think about the design of the system from a security or privacy perspective. So maybe we could just start with what is this current state of cybersecurity in fintech? And you know, generally, how high would you say are those standards today? 
there's always been a big focus on security within financial uh, within the financial industry. And I think that has obviously continued and necessarily so into the fintech space as well. Financial uh, organizations are probably some of the most juicy targets out on the internet for a hacker, right? Not only do they have customer data, not only, not only do they have big reputations, etc., but they obviously literally have money. So they've they've got a lot to uh, a lot to lose from not doing cybersecurity correctly. So we've seen a lot of innovation, typically start up in the financial space. They're the first ones to roll out seams and saws. They're the first one to, um, you know, really roll out endpoint security in the, to a large extent. So um, it's quite an exciting space. And I, having worked in that space, it's actually, uh, it was very exciting um, for an organization with thousands of developers every single one of the developers understood the need for security because they knew that they're working in such a critical space. Um, so it was never very hard to get people to think about something like security and threat modeling and other security processes because they understood the inherent need for it. Um, and then, of course, with you know cloud and containers and things like that, it just takes it to a whole not- another level. That's amazing. Yeah, so it sounds like really the, the it was like the culture of cybersecurity, right? And, and really knowing that even though maybe that wasn't their their main day job, they were really having to focus on that and embed it in everything that they did. And I think that's that's fantastic. What are some of the challenges and what are some of the biggest threats that you're seeing today that um, that that are really affecting us in this space? There's a lot of interesting sort of research out there. The Verizon do their annual data breach investigations report, and uh, they ha- they have one specifically for uh, finance and fintech as well. At one point, insider threats became very fashionable. But according to the 2023 report, 83% of breaches are still caused by external actors. So there's there's still, while there's always an insider threat, a rogue employee or something else going wrong or even just mistakes and things like that, there's still this real sort of existential threat from outside. So the, the threats remain similar to what they've always been web application attacks, errors, and things like that that expose the bank. And with things like cloud, with the automation comes, you know, automation of doing things well, but also comes the risk of automating the mistakes. So you can do mistakes at scale as well as the technology at scale. So you've got to have the checks and balances in place to ensure that that's prevented. And if it does happen, it's detected, automatically remediated, etc. And the, apparently 74% of uh, the breaches still involve human elements. So phishing attacks, even if they're not like the end game, they're often the, the way in. So there's a still the, on top of all the technology, there's, there's lateral movement or some other aspect of the overall exploit or whatever it is, the end game of the hackers. Um, there is, there is, uh, there's a lot to cover for these organizations. So that there's, it can come from any direction almost. So I'm hearing there are threats around the technology and the, you know, development cycle, and and, um, and then there's also the threats as it relates to sort of human error, right? So phishing attacks and people not necessarily being trained appropriately. I'd love to dig into both of those. So maybe we could start with the. Um, sort of the technology side, you touched slightly on the compliance, uh, or sorry, the culture of cybersecurity and, and compliance, but um, what can we do more there? How can we defend ourselves from that technical side? You've got to get the basics right. Um, and that starts with people and not necessarily, you know, things like um, phishing testing campaigns and all that kind of stuff is a part of that. But I would look at what engineering culture you've established within your organization and what are the unintended consequences of that? How, how are you incentivizing engineers to think about and implement security 
Or have you not incentivized them because you're cracking the whip and forcing them to try to get the product out or the feature out as quickly as possible to do that? So it really starts there. And then once you've, you know, on top of that culture, you then have the processes, having detective controls in place, having, you know, I'm going to obviously be biased here, but having processes like threat modeling in place right from the start so that you're not dealing with the problems later on where they get timely and expensive. So those kind of basics, those kind of fundamental, unfortunately, they're the hardest things to do. It's easy to just go and buy a piece of technology or implement a, a Google Doc or a Word Doc or something like that with a process. But the actual sort of the cultural aspect and the the motivations and the behaviors of people, I think, is where you, you need to get those fundamentals right as well. Interesting. And I think that that sort of segues nicely into the rest of us. So, so we talked a bit about the devs and creating this culture. Let's talk about now the, the rest of these companies. So the folks that aren't as technical, that's usually, that's me. <laughs> um, what can we all do, right? So you mentioned phishing attacks being a big one. How can we get better? So firstly, that still applies to the technical people. So uh, in my previous role, uh, I was, was I, I think I was still doing cloud security at the time. So I'm deeply technical, writing code and stuff like that all day long. Um, I was trying to be clever and probably write some script while cooking dinner, et cetera. And I fell for a phishing test email. So developers, even security people, are not immune from these kind of mistakes because they exploit human nature. They exploit urgency and busyness and cognitive biases and all that kind of stuff. So the, the one thing the whole organization has to do is... Uh, be vigilant, test, educate, make raise awareness of the security, etc. But again, also um, don't penalize people for making mistakes, support them, guide them, take them through the journey. Um, but don't also rely on humans never to make mistakes, whether they're in HR, or in technology, or in maybe one of the lawyers, whatever it is, they need to have the processes and support in place that enables those kind of mistakes that are going to be inevitable to be detected early on and remediated early on as well. So what are we looking at for the future here? Um, I know that cybersecurity is more important than ever. The more digital we become, governments are looking at this in massive detail. What is there anything we should be aware of in terms of regulations or compliance standards? Um, anything else that you know this, this audience should be aware of that they may not be? Firstly, I would say don't rely on the regulations and compliance side of things to drive your security program. Flip it around. Do the right thing from a security perspective and you get the compliance for free. Just because you are PCI compliant doesn't mean to say that you are hack-proof. So keep applying the right approaches to security and technology, um, even if you have reached a certain level of compliance and you know regulators are relatively happy. I think it's down to organizations to be one step ahead of the regulators um, and then we're seeing this with um, threat modeling as well. As a, as a threat modeling organization, many of our customers are financial services and fintech, and they have been doing threat modeling for a long time. They often come to us because they have an established threat modeling program that they want to scale across the organization. Um, so they're not doing it because they have to from a regulatory point of view. They're doing it because they want to get ahead of whatever's coming from a regulatory point of view. Um, so that's that's my recommendation on, on sort of that side of things. I used to chat with a, a guy. He was a uh, VP of engineering at a, let's call them a fintech company. But this is a VP of engineering, right? He wasn't even a um, security person. Spent 90% of his time trying to get auditors to understand cloud and cloud security because 
this was about 10 years ago, mind, they didn't understand how he was actually complying with all of these regulations, despite having gone a different route because of their adoption of cloud, etc. So you've got to have a very pragmatic approach to interpreting these regulations in a way that lets you innovate from a technological point of view and therefore do the right security thing as opposed to do the wrong thing, but, you know, check a box from an audit. I, controversial opinion, maybe, but uh, I definitely think it's worth pushing back on and arguing for why you have implemented something this way. I love that, though, because I think um, that topic, I think, resonates a lot with this with this audience because, you know, I know cloud is now, you know, pretty ubiquitous, but at the time it was, it was bleeding edge, right? APIs were the same thing. And, and there will always be that innovation in this space around the newest technology and being able to talk about what, you know, <laughs> what's smart here, what, what makes sense versus just trying to fit the square peg in the round hole, I think is a really interesting theme. And, and so, I mean, do you have any, advice around like how to approach those types of conversations like maybe it's just as simply as just have them yes have them be empathy um you have to understand the perspective of where they're coming from an auditor is probably not going to have the same technological understanding that you have they won't have been on the same journey um so you need to you need to have that empathy and you need to communicate things in their terms. And the same thing applies for like security communicating to the developers. So you sort of want to adapt your communication style. Um, in my previous role, you know, I spent quite a bit of time talking to our internal risk team and educating them, for example, on if you do threat modeling um, and you come out of a threat modeling process with 100 risks, you found 100 threats, that would make a auditor or a risk person cry because they typically see you've done some security process and it's come out with 100 identified risks. With threat modeling, it's a good thing because what you're doing is you're highlighting, you're giving yourself information that allows you to act better to improve the security of the system. An auditor or a risk manager would typically try to shut you down and de, uh, discourage you by penalizing you for having found more of this stuff. So you've got to understand those kind of dynamics about what, what motivates an, an auditor or a, or a risk manager, what are they incentivized, what how do they think about the world and you have to sort of adapt and help educate them as well about why the approach is different and that i'm sure that probably happens in other parts of the security and technology landscape as well so you've got to you've got to frame things in the way that they understand that's really insightful thanks for that um because i imagine that those are not easy conversations always <laughs> so um before we wrap up here i just wanted to see if there are anything else that's exciting you that's on your mind that you want to share with our audience the, the elephant in the room, which I'm sure affects fintech as much as anyone else, is, of course, things like AI and chat GPT. So there's a lot of interesting opportunities and risks there as well from a, from a security perspective. Um, and I think that applies whether you're, you know, you could be a small fintech organization pushing the boundaries and maybe you're implementing a chatbot in order to allow customers to work with your financial products, for example. Or maybe you're a larger organization, you have a data lake with, bazillion terabytes of data or both of those open up new avenues of threats i know there's a bit of a hype bubble probably within the ai space but i don't but i think it's proved itself enough to be something to pay close attention to in 2024 and i've not seen any major sort of mainstream press grabbing headlines yet but it's going to be coming right so there's going to be that's the space to watch and pay attention to and preferably be ahead of from a security perspective especially if you're using that kind of innovative 
technology. That's really interesting. I think, yeah, especially, I mean, I, you mentioned ChatGPT, more and more people relying on it, putting more and more data in there, right? That may be sensitive too. So definitely something to think about. Well, Frazier, I think we'll, we'll wrap up here, but really appreciate your insights today. I think this space is one to watch for all of us, whether we're in it or kind of adjacent to it. So um, thanks again and really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us here on Payments Innovation. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas about the show. Connect with Currency Cloud on Twitter or LinkedIn to find out more. And remember to subscribe via your favorite podcast player. Until next time.